Yes, folks, you're listening to another, another Vet of Wine podcast. I'd better go and have a word with the guests. Why don't you have another vat of wine, dear? <laughs> Gosh, Niddy, what a lovely bouquet. Yes, it's a fine bunch of red rosés. <laughs> Tiptoe to the window, at the window is where I'll be. Tiptoe through the Hello and welcome to another Vat of Wine with Chris Buchanan, where we get to know the people behind the booze we drink, at the same time sharing a bottle of their favourite tipple. Norma Ratcliffe paid the way for the concept of boutique wines when she defied the establishment and as a woman stood up to the male Afrikaans-dominated wine sector in South Africa and developed the Warwick brand with her late husband, Stan. She grew Warwick into an internationally recognized South African wine brand, and the mantle of boutique wines has been left to a myriad small producers who either grow their own grapes on small lots or buy limited amounts from other growers to make their wine. They're the craft brewers of the wine industry, taking control of each step because the volumes they work with allow them personalized control over their wines. It's often more of a labor of love than a commercial enterprise, exactly how Catherine Lacey of Hout Bay Vineyards sees her and her husband Peter Rulofs's journey into wine. Hout Bay is horse country, and while the Constantia Valley over the hill thrived with the burgeoning industry over the last 25 years, this valley was never considered wine country until now. Through a love of bubbly, Cathy and Peter grew Chardonnay, Pinot Noir and Pinot Moignier high up on the slopes of Bukermans Kloof, and Hart Bay's first modern era wine of origin was born, an MCC called Classic by Catherine. Cathy takes up the story, we're in her cellar, as to why this valley is suited to these grape varietals. It's definitely cooler. So what, what I have growing on this property is all grapes that are for a MCC. Um, and we have Savio Blanc, which is growing beautifully. So it's definitely more the white grapes that are successful in this area. It's possibly a little bit too cool for the red grape varieties, um, but the for, for the champagne clones, it's actually fantastic. And we do get those cool sea breezes that come in from the Atlantic, and it keeps our vines clean and fresh, and the breeze is always keeping, you know, it's actually fantastic for the vines. You started the winery in early 2000s. What made you decide this is where I'm going to make wine? Well, um, it all just kind of fell into place. Uh, My husband Peter and I bought the property that we are now in 2000 and we it was just a piece of land that was filled with alien vegetation, black wattles and blue gums and we had to we had to clear it and we ended up with a large piece of land, most of which is too high for us to build our house on. And um, we wondered, you know, what should we do with the space? And within the, about five minutes, we decided, well, let's plant some grapes. And because we love drinking um, a bubbly, we decided to plant champagne grapes. And it was a decision that was made within about 10 minutes. And then we just progressed from there. We first had to obviously learn find out what grapes would be suitable for this area um, and then we had to learn how to look after the vines 
Um, and while the vines were growing, we were learning how to make wine. So that's so that's how really a, a kind of start from scratch scenario with um, with basically no um, no blueprint to go on. No, absolutely no blueprint to go on. But we learned as we went. You know, neither of us have studied, but we <clears throat> we learned as we went along. And they are amazing amount of people who with an incredible amount of knowledge who are always willing to assist when we need it and that's what we called on obviously more in the beginning and not so much now but we would call on people's expertise whenever we got um, ourselves a little bit in a knot or not really knowing what to do so we would we would use people a lot um, and in that way we just learnt and learnt as we went along. When you say champagne grapes and the white grape varietals, what, what varietals are you growing on the property at the moment? So I've got champ uh, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir and Pinot Monnier, which are used in the champagne uh, in, to make an MCC. So on, um, I also farm other people's uh, land in Hart Bay. Um, so in Hart Bay, we've also got a Sauvignon Blanc. And then up towards Constantia Neck, which is slightly warmer than the rest of Hart Bay and where we are now, we've actually got Merlot and I've got some Shiraz and some more Sauvignon Blanc there. So we're looking after vines on other people's property. And then all those grapes come to my cellar and we do the wine production in the cellar. Here in and Hart you Bay. manage those vines on their properties? Yes, I look after those vines. So in Hart Bay, how much have you got under vine at the moment in terms of um, hectareage? It, it, it's a little bit tricky to work out the hectares. Um, we've... It's, it estimates about mm, two and a half hectares that we've got. So it's, it's small, you yeah. know, it's a small production. We do between 15 and 20 tons of grapes in a vintage is what we, can, what we have produced. This year was the lowest we've ever had um, because of the drought. So we really struggled this year with quantities. Um, but it's usually up to 20 tons of grapes that we will that we will bring in in a, in a harvest. Did the drought bring um, other aspects to it, lower quantity, but a, a lower yield, but um, a better berry? Or was it, because um, I've spoken to a few people who've said that, that the drought, although there was a lower yield, they, they tended to get quite a good fruit. Yeah, the fruit is great. Um, you know, this year, even though we're coming to the end of the, the drought, we were affected more than previously. Previously, we seemed to be okay um, because of the sea mists that, that actually bring in quite a lot of, of moisture. Um, but at the end of last year, it was really dry and also we had an enormous amount of um, fires. So a lot of the losses that we had were due to birds. Um, and we feel that because uh, of the droughts, you know, the grapes are an easy picking. If there's not much for them to feed off in the wild, they will go for the grapes. Absolutely. But what the, gra what the birds did leave for us to harvest um, are some great grapes. You know, we, we managed to get a good, you know, decent quality out of the grapes that we have got. Let's go through the range. So, first of all, you came here for the love of bubbly. And um, I mean, bubbly from an MCC perspective, it's a time-consuming and a labour of love in terms of the attention you have to you have to give the bottles while they're on the lease. And and um, so uh, let's talk about the bubbly. Tell, tell us about the um, the bubbly called classic. Is it? Yeah, the the bubbly is called the classic by Catherine. That's me. So that's my my baby. Um, it, 
If we had known when we planted those grapes, actually the amount of effort and the amount of work that goes into making an MCC, we probably would not have done it. Um, So I guess it's a good thing that we didn't know at that stage when we were planting. But it is it is labor intensive. It does take a lot of processes in order to get the the bubbles in the bottle. You know, we will make um, if we if we start from the beginning, the grapes are always the first to be harvested when it comes to harvest time. So it's usually around the middle of January that we will pick those grapes. Um, the way we test the decide on when to pick is always by testing the sugar. So it's not a high sugar content in the in the grape when we pick them. And then we do a very gentle pressing and that the, that juice goes into the tank and it ferments and we get a base wine. And when we're ready to um, put this wine into the bottle, five days before bottling day, we will make up a mixture of yeast and sugar. And each day I'm introducing, I'm, I'm adding some of the wine to the yeast, as a, so I'm introducing the wine to the yeast um, and building up the population of the yeast. And then on bottling day, we will add this mixture to the tank and keep it all stirred up and in suspension and put the wine into the bottle and then put a crown cap, like a beer top, on top of the bottle. Then this wine gets put away and I leave mine for a minimum of three years. So what is happening then is the reaction of the yeast and the sugar inside the bottle is creating the CO2, which is the bubbles. And that's the champagne method. In order to call it an MCC, that is how the wine has to be produced. So it goes through a second fermentation inside the bottle. So I leave mine for three years. And what is happening is that the CO2 actually becomes more um, integrated with the wine. So the bubbles have become finer. It gets a lot more character from the yeast. And then when, I'm, when we're ready to drink it, we go through a process of riddling where we then get all the yeast to the neck of the bottle and we have to pop off the, the crown cork, um, shoot out all the yeast, and then we put in the natural cork and the wire cage that keeps everything inside the bottle, um, which is imperative because if you're thinking there's about six bars of pressure inside the bottle mm. compared to... Uh, two bars of pressure that you're going to have in your car tire is quite substantial. Do you dissage? Do you do you top up? I don't. Oh. I, no dissage. Yeah, yeah. Top up if we need to, but just with the with the same wine. But I don't add a dissage. So it is it is completely dry and um, and natural. It's a natural wine. Yeah, that's how I like it. And how many successful vintages have you made of the MCC since you started? My the first vintage I made was in two thousand and five, but that was not from my first my own grapes. That uh, first vintage of my own grapes was two thousand and seven. Okay. Yeah. So and at the moment we are drinking two thousand and sixteen. And what sort of volume are you producing in terms of your MCC? Approximately two thousand bottles of vintage. And available where? Yeah. In Hart Bay, um, yeah, from my cellar and a couple of local um, spas in Hart Bay and restaurants. Otherwise, people buy it, um, you know, from from me personally at the cellar. Okay. Yeah. Um, we'll get to that a little bit later. Let's then go on to the rosé, which you call blush. Yeah, so th- that came up because when I'm making my bubbly, I do a very gentle pressing and I only actually press 50% of the juice. Um, and the reason for that is because when you're making an MCC, you don't necessarily want to get the flavors that come from the pips and from the skins. Um, so there's quite a lot of juice left in those grapes when I finished taking the juice for the bubbly. So I decided to press those grapes again. 
and with that second pressing I make the rosé wine. So it gets um, a lot more colour which comes from the Pinot Noir and the Pinot Monier grapes which are both red grapes um, and a lot of f fruit flavours. So it's, it's small quantities that I make each year but it's it's made from the same grapes as the Bavri, so it's very light, very fresh, nice and fruity. Mine has got a lower alcohol because it's um, because it's made from the MCC grapes, and as I mentioned to you, I picked the grapes earlier, so it's got a lower sugar, and during fermentation, the sugar is converted to alcohol. So lower sugar means lower alcohol. So for mine, we're looking at about 11.5%, which, you know, even that makes it more of a sort of desirable lunchtime, easy-drinking wine. It's becoming very, very popular, lower alcohol <laughs> wines, just in terms of that exact aspect. That yeah. summer afternoon, you you can drink a few glasses and not um, not feel... Yeah, go back to work. ...hung over by seven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Then you have the Sauvignon Blanc. Yes. And that's also grapes grown... In Hartberg. It's grapes in Hartberg. Yeah, so I've got two Sauvignon Blanc blocks. One is... Um, up towards Constantia Neck, it is still in Hart Bay, and the other block is on the other side of the valley towards Landadno. Um, so that that valley, I mean that little block of of grapes actually is is very cool because it's often in that cold sea breeze that comes over the over the ridge at Sekaborsi from Landadno. So it, it very distinct flavor differences that come from those two blocks of of vines. Um, you know, where it's much cooler, I'm getting a lot more green flavors coming through, and up towards Constantinac, where it's slightly warmer, we get more of those tropical fruit flavors. So it's very interesting how the the climate actually affects the grapes in that way. And that would be very, I mean, a good study to do, just in terms of how many kilometers are they apart from each other, not even mm. five. No, so... And so you're getting such the different characteristics. Yeah. So how would you describe your Sauvignon Blanc? If you were to look at a tasting note, what would you... What would you sum up your Sauvignon Blanc as being an essence of? Um, it, it's it's a delicious, fresh, easy drinking white wine. Um, it's not too acidic. Um, I you do get those classic Sauvignon Blanc flavors coming through off the the green pepper, um, and then you get those tropical fruit flavors off the. Um, um, I'm thinking of the Afrikaans word now, the pomelo, uh, grapefruit, and, <laughs> and, and, and the guavas. So I think it's a, it's a lovely fruity wine, not too acidic. I do, I do tend to keep my wines back a little bit, so I don't release it immediately as it's been bottled. Um, and I find that in doing that, it loses that very high acidity that some people actually don't like in a Sauvignon Blanc. So it makes it a bit more gentle, a, a, a bit, little bit softer. So we got, we'll get on to the reds now. Should we taste that Merlot that you... Um, Absolutely. Just to get an idea, because the, the reds, uh, th these grapes are not on the property. These are... Are these are these grapes that you source, or, or, do, or is there an element of the red that you grow? No, the the Merlot comes from the Constantia Neck farm. Okay. So, so as I said before, that is um, it is Hot Bay. So I've got Merlot there and Shiraz in the reds. Um, so and my neighbour has um, got some Shiraz as well. So we look after that vine, those vines. Um, and that all comes into my cellar. So it is a wine of origin, Hart Bay. What we've got here is a 2016 vintage. 
and it's been two years on um, on the wood. So for a Merlot, we actually decided to use large French oak barrels. So we're putting this into a 500 liter barrel. Um, and once again, it's got to do with balance and and gentleness of the wooding. So there's a smaller surface area to the wine. Um, and it's we, we find that it allows a, a more gentle wooding. So you keep the fruit flavor, which is very important. You don't want the wood to be overshadowing the fruit. And I think I think the that we've got the fruit flavors in this wine. That is quite quite astounding in terms yeah. of the, the the tannins, the wood, the fruit. It's it's extremely well balanced. Yes, yeah. So I think that's that's what we aim. You know, that's what we're striving for, is that balance and to allow the fruit to actually shine. Yeah, very well balanced wine. And and um, you talking about your barrels, the five hundred liter barrels. Where do you source your barrels, and are they? Is it new oak? I use a combination of new and second and third fill barrels. Um, I do get them from a <clears throat> from a cooperage who is well. It's uh, in in Stellenbosch. They bring in the barrels. They are French oak. Um, you know, they are. If you if you leave a, a a wine in a new barrel for two years, you're definitely going to be overshadowed with the with the wood. There is going to be too much wood flavor in that. So we will use the the new barrels for a percentage of time and then actually take the wine out of those barrels and put them into older barrels just to mature without um, extracting too much of the wood flavor so we use a combination of that it's that, that debate has come back into come back to the fall <clears throat> i was reading an article in the, in the wine enthusiast about this tendency to go back to new oak and how we're getting those heavily oaked wines that are coming through with a bit like the 90s yeah. when the Chardonnays were just so over-oaked and the, <clears throat> the reds were so over-oaked yeah. and that's a trend that's coming back in and people are kind of backing off from it now and saying 20% new and the rest is in, yeah. like you're saying, second or third fill just yes. to get that. To, so it's not just a, a, a wooden fruit experience, it's it's yeah. a balance between it ha- it, ha- it has to be balanced yeah and I definitely don't I'm not a fan of over oaked wood or wine so we definitely keep it a little bit more gentle and volumes of the Merlot Merlot is also um, we're looking at about 3,000 bottles of vintage that we make obviously it varies each year depending on how much the vineyard is actually going to give us but um, around 3,000 bottles is what we're producing at the moment the Shiraz, let's go on to that. Is that the same kind of approach? Is that the same? Yes. So so the Shiraz also comes from Constantinec, and we also put it in um, large barrels. Um, I make a very small percentage of that because the majority of the Shiraz is actually used in our Rhone blend, the Pietrus. So we will keep, we, put, we have a 300-litre barrel that we keep um, for purely Shiraz. So that gives us about... 550-odd bottles that we make a vintage of the Shiraz. So it's very limited. Let's talk about, it's called the Petrus blend. Yeah, the Petrus. So, so Petrus is, is my husband, so that's his his blend. Um, and it's Rhone, so it's, it's predominantly Shiraz. It's about just over 50% Shiraz, which we get from the Constantinic farm. Then the other the other cultivars we actually source from a, from a farm in Wellington, um, we, we've sourced the grapes, so we actually went and did a whole um, 
uh, recce to find the farmer whose farming practices we uh, liked and agreed with. Um, and each year we will choose the tonnage of grapes that we want from which row and we will harvest it and we bring the grapes to Hart Bay into our cellar where we go through the whole production. So there we get um, a, uh, a Carignan, Movedre, Grenache Noir and Cinso are the other cultivars that we use. Um, and those grapes... We will, because of the, its smaller quantities, we do have a variety of, kind of, of 225 litre barrels as well as 300 litre barrels. We also um, put the Cinso into a, um, what is it, uh, different, you know, lighter wooding. So we, we don't, um, acacia, we actually use an acacia barrel which um, isn't as heavy in flavoring as the, as the French oak. Mm. And so we play around a little bit with that, with the wood. And each year is different. You know, we will do a tasting each year and a blend um, of the different val- uh, cultivars. We, we age everything separately. And just before bottling, we will do the blend. Um, so each year it's slightly different. You call it a Rhone blend. So yeah. Give us an idea about how a Rhone blend would, um, the characteristics of a Rhone blend as opposed to a Bordeaux blend. Or yeah, well, we, you know, when we first started making wine, um, we, we, we started off with just making the bubbly because that is the grapes that we had. And I was doing that. And then Peter got very jealous. He also wanted to start making some grapes, <laughs> some wine. So he sourced... Um, some Cabernet and some Merlot, just because that was kind of the thing that you do. Um, and he made um, a Bordeaux blend, which was fantastic as a big, bold, strong Bordeaux blend. And then one day we went to a Rhone-style tasting, and the and it was just the most exciting thing. It was almost like, it was just a eye-opener and for us it was wow this is fantastic the you still get that uh, bold strong flavors and full bodies that full, full body that comes through in the wine but it's not heavy at all it's it's a lot more of a sexy wine it's more approachable it's not old school where you feel you've got to be sitting in your leather cart you know drinking this glass of wine it's it's a, it's got a almost a younger feel to it, um, and that's what got us very excited about it. And it, it came at the time when we started to take over the grapes at the Constantia Neck Farm, so we had Shiraz. So it was, it just made sense to us to actually make the change, and we was very excited about it because it is just actually the different varieties are actually delicious, and they, it's, you know, it's. Um, as Peter always says, um, when it, when it comes to blending, it's where the winemaker really starts to play. And you've you've got it's like having the different instruments, and you can play the different instruments beautifully. But when you put them together, then you've got the symphony, yeah. and that is the blend, um, and that is our our Pietrus wine. And the Rhone blend is just for us very exciting because it is just such a delicious blend. Give us the characteristics. Let's have a look at the, I mean, the tasting notes. What would you, how would you describe it? What would you say are the, the fundamental characteristics of this blend? Well, f- well, fundamentally, you know, Shiraz plays a big part of it. So you do get that structure from that comes um, from the Shiraz. But then from the other grape varieties, the, the Grenache Noir and the Mauvedre, it brings in more of a light fruit to it. So I would say that this wine, once again, is well-rounded, well-balanced, 
um, with that f- backbone to support it, but still carrying that those fruit flavors through beautifully. So it's just it's just a fantastic, well well balanced wine that actually you can drink now, but it still's got the legs to go for the next seven to ten years. Compared, you know, depending on how it's salad. And um, you say you 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 barrel the grapes separately, then you blend. How long are they in barrel? How long are the grapes in barrels? They're also in the barrels for twenty four months. Okay. Yeah. So they they all um, aged separately because you know you never know how things are going to mature. So we're not going to blend it right at the beginning. So, uh, and like I say, we we always slightly change the percentages of the wine that goes together. People will think that a blend, you're just blending it because you don't, you're not happy with a cultivar on its own, but it's absolutely not like that, you know. So it's it's really a, a creation when you blend a wine. Right, now let's get to the port. Okay. Because you make a port as well. Yes. Um, so take us through that, the decision to, to make a port, because it also, once again, it's not an easy thing to make. No, no. So the, so the port was a challenge. Um, the reason why we made the port is because... Um, we were approached by a farmer in Stellenbosch who had a test block of port variety grapes that he didn't really know what to do with. So he said, okay, well, we will give it a go. We'll give it a bash. So we harvested those grapes and we brought all the grapes to Hart Bay Vineyards. And we went through the whole process of really learning how to make this port. And it's and it's quite exciting. You know, it's it's very technical, in fact, because you... You've, you're dealing with very a lot of sugar because you're picking it at about 28 balling. Um, and then you need to stop the fermentation process in order to keep the sweetness. Um, and the way to do that is to buy, it's called chapitalizing, where you're adding a 98% proof alcohol. It's a brandy spirit that you add to it, which actually stops the fermentation. But you have to really do it at the correct time. So when we added it, I think it was two o'clock in the morning because that was the time that it was at the, as it as it ferments. We're testing the fermentation and the and the sugar that's left in it, and it's losing um, its its sugar balling. Like every hour, it'll lose lose a degree, and we knew what where we wanted to stop it, and it just so happened that it was in the middle of the night, and we capitalized it and. You know, and then we put it in barrels. The the grapes are the wine is in barrels. It's we use actually forty year old. We got old KWV barrels, um, and the reason for the old barrels is that you wanting the wine to age, but you actually don't want any oak flavors in the port. It's not like wine where you actually want the wine. So it's. So it's, it's a storage element it's more a storage. than a, an, an, an adding value flavor. Or yeah, it adds, kind of... it adds no flavor whatsoever. It just allows that natural aging and almost oxidizing that, you know, that happens in, in a wooden barrel. Yeah. So the, um, that, that spirit, that's the aguardent, that is the, that's a, that basically that's a brandy it's spirit. It's a brandy that spirit, you, that yes. You fortify the wine. With. Yes. And um, so you can't call it port, obviously, um, in terms of the labelling. You, you can't name it a port. No, no. So we, we're given a few options, like um, just the Cape Vintage, really, is what we call it. So it's, uh, we hope that people understand what it is. 
by and saying, you know, we can call it a Cape Vintage or Cape Ruby, 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 or, you know, you just can't use the port the word. word. The word port, yeah. 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 Um, <clears throat> it's just an interesting thing to, to dabble in. What sort of volume are we looking there? How many bottles of that are you making? No, very small volume. Yeah. So for the, uh, um, the first one that we made was in 2010. So we had 600 litres, uh, two 300 litre barrels. Um, we have one barrel still remaining, so we have bottled and sold that uh, the rest of it. Um, the last uh, 300 litres we will release in 2020, so that it will be a 10-year-old port. Um, and each year, we know very small quantities, we're doing 300 litres. And we don't make it every year either. It depends okay. if we can actually source the grapes, then we will make it. Yeah. I've listened to you talk about... Um, experimentation, talking about this craft aspect, this nurturing aspect, and I look at the price points of your wine, and I'm thinking, um, you know, you 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 underdoing yourself in terms of first of all the quality of this Merlot is lovely. Can I give you another? Yes, you can give me a good topper. <laughs> it really is a lovely wine, um, and you are bottling with a. To, you know, you, you're nurturing it, you're crafting it, you've on hands, you're doing this hard work. And I look at the price points and I'm thinking, wow, this is very good value. In reality, we should probably be charging two or three times more than what we do. Um, but unfortunately, the public really struggle to buy a bottle of wine and in the shop that is... 300 rand you know they're not going to buy it and I would rather people actually buy my bottle of wine and enjoy it and buy another one then maybe have one and think oh that was a really nice bottle of wine but I can't actually afford to have another one you know so I, I want to be um, accessible I need to place myself in a position that is accessible and people will buy it and enjoy it and not feel any kind of vaguely ripped off and unfortunately um, the general public don't really understand what goes into creating this bottle of wine. They expect to go to the bottle store and buy one for 40 rand, not really having an understanding of um, the time and effort and energy that went into it. Um, and you're probably, you're, you're definitely right, I should be charging more for my wine, for the effort and for the labor that goes that goes into each bottle. You know, if you consider the label and the capsule and the and the cork and the box and everything that's not even you know looking at what the effort that goes into looking after those grapes the, in the, the vineyard one degree of mechanization the way you absolutely guys are yeah here the time pumping, you guys are here doing sure. the work that's, no, sure. uh, you know there, there, there would be wine estates in Stellenbosch who produce pinnacle wine with the same Mm. approach that you guys do and, and you know you'll be four or five times the price yeah no of, no I absolutely wine. And, and it just um, it's just amazing that it can be done yeah for a lot less yeah maybe your margins are lower but absolutely you know, we don't make a lot of wine it's a it's love we do it up yeah. we do it for love <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's uh, that's that's a credit to you in, in itself in terms of in terms of that have you got any in uh, exposure from an international perspective have you is there somebody who is looking at your wine internationally and and thinking this is good value this is good wine people do um 
I, but I, I have sold to private buyers. I've had wine that's gone to Finland and Slovakia and Germany and Switzerland, um, but it's always been private buyers who will come in and buy a pallet full or 20 cases or what, whatever the case may be and take it and actually distribute it there. I don't have um, representatives or uh, people in Europe or anywhere who's selling my wine, um, but people do enjoy it, you know, and price-wise, if if they buy a bottle of my best wine, like the Bubbly or the Pietrus, and it will, to get it into Germany, for example, it will be double the price, but it's still good value for the quality of wine that they will be drinking. I think that's, you know, that's something we as South Africans have to, have to deal with, is the, is the fact that our wines, in terms of value, are very, are very good value. Um, yeah. It's just to get the right wine, um, it's just to get the right wine out there from a marketing perspective and, and, um, and the right message, I suppose, yeah. to, to, um, to people. How do you see the, the, the market evolving um, in a terms of a, a place for what we could call a true boutique winery? Do you think that, um, it's a sustainable way to make wine? Um, it's it's a very difficult way to make wine. It's it's a very it's it's a difficult place to be because of price wise. You know things do cost a lot of money. For instance, if I'm buying a thousand labels, it'll cost me so much. But if I buy ten thousand rand, it'll cost me a frac ten thousand labels. It'll cost me a fraction of that price. But I can't you know I can't buy those sort of quantities. So. You know, things are always cheaper the bigger quantities that you buy. So if, as a small producer, it is more expensive. But I think people are definitely looking towards um, more artisanal things in all aspects. You know, people are wanting organic and they're wanting the small producers from wine to cheese and vegetables and, you know, meats and all sorts of things. People are moving away from the big producers and big suppliers and going more towards quality and the smaller producers. Um, so hopefully, ultimately, we will be able to charge accordingly and people will understand the value of buying, you know, from the smaller producers. Mm. Yeah. The, the, the range that you're producing at the moment, are you happy with that? Are you, have you, are you in mind to uh, expand it? Are you in mind to to play with other varietals, play with something else in the industry, or are you happy with what no, you No, I'm, I'm going to stick to what I've got. I think we've got quite a large range um, already, and it, it's grapes that we have, in you know, majority of them in Hart Bay. And Hart Bay is small, and there is not a lot of land, you know, space in order to plant more vineyards. I'm always looking at other people's properties, thinking, oh, you know, can we plant some grapes? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, on that arena, let's plant a little vineyard. Um, so no, I think um, what what we've got actually is is a it's a good range, and I'm not I'm not going to be changing that at the moment. I heard a stat the other day um, of the of the tourists that come to do wine tourism in the Cape. Eighty um, percent go to Stellenbosch and Franschhoek. Yes. Um, only twenty percent veer out of those areas, and then you've still got Paul, you've got your Robertsons, you've got your Elgins, mm. Constantia over the hill. 
obviously for people to understand in the heart bay that there's a winery for one, but that it's something to to indulge in. The attention is not really on you. No. Um, and you're a small producer. Yes. Um, is that, that must be a marketing challenge in itself. It is a marketing challenge, but, um, but it's... I'm quite happy with the way it is at the moment. You know, foreign tourism is not my market. They don't buy wine because they can't take wine with them. So if if I do do wine tastings, you know, it takes a lot of my time. I, if I do a wine tasting, it's usually an hour, an hour and a half. You know, people will sit here and I dedicate that time to it. So it takes a lot of my time. Um, and I like really, I, I, I do it in order to sell wine. That is what I do it for. And foreigners don't buy wine. So they're not really my target market. If I'm going to do tours and and um, tourists, local as in South African tourists are fantastic. People who come from Johannesburg, um, they are first prize because they can put a few cases in their boot and take it home or I can easily and fairly inexpensively courier wine to them. So that really is more of my market than the than the foreigners. Um, so so I'm not actually working at getting those tour buses to come and see me at all. It's it's not really my priority. And what about um, hooking onto the back of something like the Constantia guys as an extension of, so when they get together and they have a show a showcase day of Constantia wine um, that you hook onto the back end of that is not quite Constantia wine we have just over the hill in Half Bay but at least it's there is a bit of marketing that somebody else will do for you yeah just as a just no. to help you just to help you along yeah no absolutely yeah no absolutely um, I have done a couple of events with the Constantia wineries um, so, so that is a plan, but um, you know, I I am a small producer, and I don't have um, an enormous amount of wine that I produce every year, and I actually sell out every year. Um, so I'm not. I mean, it's I don't want to come across as arrogant, but I actually don't, and I and you always have to do selling. You know, you have to do marketing. But I'm not really needing to go um, beyond and and market myself out of Heart Bay. I like to keep it exclusive. Um, I like to be able to supply um, the locals and the restaurants in Heart Bay, um, and you know, and and it works for me. And it's and it's small and it works and it's actually it's actually enough for me. Um, so anything further than anything beyond that becomes a little bit more pressure for me because I don't want to put my wine in restaurants and then say halfway through the year, I'm sorry, I'm out of stock. You know, I don't like to do that. So I do try and limit who, where the wine goes to. You don't yeah. often hear the term um, enough. You know, it's always more, I want more, I want more, I want more, I want more market share, I want to sell more yeah. wine. But well, I would love to make more wine. You know, I would love to be able to sell more wine, but mm. I need to make it. So I am, we actually are in the process of... Um, planting a new vineyard and that's on another neighbor's property um so th- that's going to give me i'm planting chardonnay so that's going to bulk up my mcc um the quantities mm-hmm. so you know i would love to be able to make more wine because for for me to 
make I could double the quantities of wine that I make I've actually got the capacity to do it and it wouldn't really it wouldn't double my expenses so for me to actually make some money it would make sense to actually make more wine um, but I you know I'm, I'm a bit of a stickler for keeping it I'm a, a purist I suppose I want it to be Hart Bay grapes I want it I want to keep the heart the wine of origin in Hart Bay so in order to do that I need to plant grapes in Hart Bay. Yeah, so... Maybe those arenas will become... <laughs> vineyards, yeah. Vineyards, after all, if you had your way yeah. in Hart Bay to make way for, for, for the vineyards. Yeah. Boutique, exclusive, um, hands-on, fingerprint on every grape. Catherine Lacey, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I wish you well, and I think what you have here is it's, it's a magnificent um, approach to something that um, has become, I, I think, a, a little too commercialized and, a, and a, a little too impersonal. And it's good to know that there are people out there who, who do it from a, a, as a personal adventure and who do it as a personal love. And I think that's uh, kudos to, to Hart Bay Vineyards for, for bringing that back into, into winemaking in South Africa and from, a, from another vet of wine, I just wish you all the best. Thank you very much.